this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I loved school once I got into the right school. Uh, I was telling Kathy earlier, I, I went into one school, dropped out of it, and then just worked for a few years. But once I found school I liked, I loved school. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those now that if you paid me to go to school, I think I could do it like for life. There are three or four PhDs I'd love to get. Uh, so Hebrew linguistics was particularly fascinating to me. That's where I thought my PhD would go. I was going to study translation theory and look at how uh, Augustine had picked up from the Aramaic when he was translating and preaching on Ezekiel. Fascinating, right? Uh, Another PhD I had considered was in Greek linguistics, looking at the nature of the accusative case functioning as the subject of an infinitive. Right, Bill? Amen. Uh, I had a professor who told me that was not really helpful to the church, and maybe I should think about something else. Um, so he suggested thinking along the lines of ethics. So I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, uh, in the Methodist Church, we talk about uh, Wesley's standard sermons and his text, his commentary on the Old and New Testament as our tools for theological reflection. I've thought what it would be like to apply those, uh, to use those, and then use Reinhold Niebuhr's Christ and Culture Paradigms and see where Wesley fell. I'd love to do that PhD. I never planned on spending two and a half years studying death, grief, and lamentation. And that is all I have studied for two years. Would never have been on You hear the things I want to study. Instead, we get this grant to study the intersection of personal grief and corporate lamentation to look at what it means to, uh, to heal well, to allow uh, our individual selves to come and be part of the community uh, when we face grief. Uh, I, I've learned through this process that everybody's got something they're grieving. It might not be a death, it might be a relationship, it might be a disaster, it might be a lost pregnancy, a job you hate, something. We all have this thing that uh, we are grieving and that is causing us pain, that we are hurting from. Uh, I've been thinking particularly about two in my life a lot. Uh, in 1996, my freshman year, we had uh, Hurricane Floyd blow through eastern North Carolina. Uh, Hurricane Floyd followed on the heels of Hurricane Bertha and devastated Pitt County. Uh, at one point, they, we were completely surrounded by water and they were having to Blackhawk in supplies. Uh, there's pictures of them bringing a transformer in so the hospital had power. Uh, the poor part of town on the other side of the river was devastated. It's a hundred year flood zone and it's uh, wiped out. Uh, the other major th moment of trauma and grief in my life was my mother's death. Um, when uh, she died of a ruptured aortic aneurysm unexpectedly at 68. Uh, these two moments probably are the most uh, shaping moments of trauma in my life and moments that I have looking back on go, uh, how do I heal from these things? See, uh, in both those, we know what the first week looks, after, looks like after these things, right? After a flood, 
Uh, especially if you're a church family, it's really easy. You go to church and you help people. You show up and you make a clothes center in your Christian life center so that people who need clothes can come and get them. You uh, take canoes to second story windows to try to salvage things. Uh, this first week of a flood is easy on what you do. You just kind of uh, take your instincts and just roll into them and go. But what do you do after? When the waters receded and thousands and thousands of houses are filled with floodwater damage, pictures floating in muck, an entire part of our county now uninhabitable, redefining the flood zone because of this thing. What do you do then? That first week is easy. Healing from that is hard. Uh, Pitt County looks healed if you look uh, kind of on the surface level, but if you actually drive out across the river to the part of town that was poor and you look, there's still areas fenced off. They changed the flood maps. You can't live in these. They're no longer 100-year flood zones. They're 500-year flood zones. You can't live there. Entire schools have changed demographics because people leaving town. People have still not finished healing from this flood 25 years ago. I'm still healing from the death of my mother. You know, that first week or two is pretty easy. Uh, the church shows up and brings a bunch of fried chicken, deviled eggs, casseroles, and sweet tea, right? That's easy. You write, you write an obituary, you plan a funeral, you go to the visitation, you deal with the relatives who won't leave fast enough. Like, you do these things, but then they do leave. And you run out of fried chicken. And you realize that mom's clothes are in this closet. And the little table beside where she always sits still has her uh, giant pack of Orbit bubblegum sitting out on it. You realize that uh, two weeks from now is Christmas. And what are you going to do? Because mom was kind of the center of Christmas. You start immediately thinking about Thanksgiving because I always cook Thanksgiving with her. We know what to do right after some major traumatic event. We're not great at healing. We're not great at doing the long work afterwards. That's part of what we've been trying to study, and I find it fascinating that that's where today's text lands us. Last week, we came into the story of Israel as they hit exile, as Jerusalem has fallen, as seemingly things are as bad as they can get. In that moment, it's easy. You cry out to God in distress. But then we turn the page to this week's text where it actually invites us to consider the people sitting in Babylon. Jeremiah wrote to the few remaining elders and leaders, is what it says, who had been exiled in Babylon. He gives them this word. And he gives them this word because there already is two camps trying to figure out how we move on from this crisis. What do we do now that kind of the initial trauma is over? There's one group of uh, people who call themselves prophets who say, let's just run. Let's get out of Babylon as fast as we can. If we disappear, they can't do anything. There's another group of prophets who say, let's fight them. We can beat them. Surely we can. Failing to consider that this is an empire that just dominated them militarily. But that's our response to trauma, right? <clears throat> Fight or flight. Let's, let's uh, knock it out, be done with it. 
or let's run away from it and pretend it doesn't exist. And the word from Yahweh is not helpful to any of them. Uh, It is not what they want to hear. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons and wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because the future depends on its welfare. A bunch of the crowd wants to fight. A bunch of the crowd wants to run away. And Yahweh says, build houses, plant gardens, find a spouse, have children, and then help your children find spouses and have children. You want to run? You want to fight? You're going to have to do the hard work of healing. You're going to have to sit in this exile moment and do the hard work. We want to hear, you've been punished. You're good to go. Let's get you back to Judah. You want to hear, if you you do this, I've got your back and you can run away. But instead what you hear is, pray for Babylon. For from their welfare comes your welfare. We all have trauma in our lives that we need to heal from. The death in our family, the natural disaster, the child we've lost, the job that is sucking our soul, the financial uh, crisis that we're one step away from. But our world tells us that we should uh, either pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, fight our way through it and be done, or ignore it and hope it goes away. I think what my research has shown and what this text is telling us is that we actually have to do the hard work of healing. He doesn't say go lounge in Babylon and in 70 years things are great. He says go build houses. Plant gardens. Pray for them. I think many of us have some gardens we need to plant and some houses we need to build around the trauma in our lives, around the ways that we've been hurt and we need to move forward. Uh, you know, I spent five years at Asbury, and they have this uh, pretty powerful healing academy and ministry of healing. And uh, first-year seminarians show up, and they think, ah, I'm going to go to the healing academy, talk about my junk, and I'll be good to go. And what they realize is, like, that's not how it works. You go to the healing academy, and you pretty much work your whole time in seminary, and then realize that your whole life is a healing journey. That things are never the same after whatever this trauma is. Now, you can, you can be... Uh, made well you can have welfare you can even feel good but things are never the same and so they go from i'm gonna go meet with peg and i'm gonna be good to i need a whole i need a whole community around me the rest of my life i need i need the church to surround me i need good counselors i need all these things in my life it's the doing the work of building the house of planting the garden of planning for next generations. Healing doesn't happen like that. Uh, Even uh, the quickest hospital visit usually has a care plan. 
you go in, you have whatever procedure, and they send you out to do something. They don't just disappear. Go do PT, go to OT, go to uh, rehab. Schedule your chemotherapy. Be on this drug. Do this thing. Healing is not what our society tells us that we're supposed to do. It tells us, run from it or fix it yourself. Israel had tried that for years and years and years. They had tried to be in control of their own destiny. We can ignore what Yahweh wants. We can do things that we want. And they find themselves here going, what do we do now? And Yahweh says, wait and do the work. I've been trying to think about what that looks like for us. What it looks like to do the hard work. And I think it's uh, more than we could even begin to dive into today. But I think there's one simple thing. Uh, and it's, it's uh, been messing with me all week. Romans 12, 1 from the message says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. But think about what it would mean to take our everyday, ordinary, eating, sleeping, waking up, walking around lives, and place them before God, and say, I will take as long as it takes to heal. Bless all this mess around me, God, for I can't fix all of it. Israel couldn't fix Babylon, and in many ways, we can't fix the mess around us that causes us all the pain and all the trauma. What if we prayed, prayed for God's welfare, for God's shalom on that spouse that we're separated from, on that job that is tearing us apart? on that kid that we feel like it's just making the worst decisions ever. What if we prayed God shalom and then did the hard work, sat in it with our everyday, ordinary lives given fully to God? Doesn't mean that the things around are good. Doesn't mean that we stay in some kind of abusive situation. It doesn't mean that we bless bad. God doesn't say, Babylon's great, you should be just like them. Instead, he says, get married so that you don't dwindle away. Have children, but while you're in the midst of this, give yourself fully to it and recognize that if their welfare is not there, your welfare will not be there. If they don't experience shalom, this peace, this well-being, you won't do it. But that's hard because it requires us to trust God to act, right? That's part of Israel's problem is they never could trust long enough that God would do what God said he can do. A friend of mine, Sean Gladding, uh, said that Jeremiah 29.7 is his life verse. Uh, Pray for the city, for in its welfare comes your welfare. And he said it can be his life verse because God has already proven God is faithful to God's character through the whole story beforehand. That if God has been faithful at every point up to and including exile, he will surely be faithful in the next promises. Because there are promises to come. It doesn't say I'm going to leave you in Babylon forever. There's more. The Lord proclaims, when Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. 
When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I'll be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. They want to run or they want to fight. And God says, dwell in this healing journey. 70 years, but God names that he will be faithful to his character and bring them back into the land if they do the work and pray to him. It is so countercultural to believe that our God is a major part of our healing journey. Frankly, our culture doesn't even want us to invite others into our journey, much less God. But the story is clear from creation until this point, and then from creation to new creation. God is faithful to his character and will work in and through you if you turn to him. Though the text still feels sad, this is uh, truly a hopeful moment. For last week, there was nothing but grief. In this moment, there's the promise of restoration. Friends, if you're ever sitting in that moment of grief, there is hope. There is healing. Whether it's something that happened last week or 15 years ago, what if you gave your everyday ordinary life to doing the hard work of being faithful to God and allowing him to work in and through you to bring healing? We've seen the rest of the story. God is faithful. He delivers them from exile, brings them back into the land, then takes on flesh in Jesus Christ. He says, no more do you have to deal with the other ways of relating to me. Now I am taking it on. He suffers death. is raised from the dead and then gives us his spirit as a sign of his presence. Friends, as we sit in our grief and our trauma, may God's spirit testify with your spirit that he has not left you, that he has not forsaken you, and that his promises are true. Amen. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we give thanks that throughout your story, you remain faithful to your character, that you remain covenant faithful even when we aren't. That you take the long view to offer healing and wholeness and restoration. Lord, receive our everyday, ordinary lives. Fill us with your spirit and empower us to do the work of healing. Show us where it is we need to build houses and plant gardens. Show us where it is that we need to pray for well-being, for peace, for shalom of, uh, of our city, of people of whatever the situation is. Lord, when we start to flee or we start to fight, remind us what it means to wait, to take the long road of healing instead of chasing the cheapness of quick. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.